Welcome back to Vignettes, the AWF storytelling podcast. My name is Millie and I'm the program coordinator here at the Emerging Writers Festival. I'm recording from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay respect to their elders past and present and to the elders of all lands that this podcast reaches. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is Sovereign Food, and it's also the final episode for this season of Vignettes. The theme for today's episode was first inspired by a piece in Overland called The Politics and Solidarity of Food, which we'll link in today's show notes. It's a piece by Hasib and Janine Harani, who are two Palestinian siblings involved in the BDS movement against Israel and its oppression of Palestinians. The piece spoke to the appropriation of Palestinian food, as well as the power of ethical food consumption and boycotts. We're really lucky to have Hasib reading a new food-related poem for this episode today, along with the wonderful Tanin Ones-Williams and Muhib Nabulsi, who will reflect on what sovereign food means to them through their own personal stories. They're all really incredible readings and we're excited to share them with you. So first, Tanin Onis-Williams. Tanin is a proud Gunditjmara, Bindal, Yorta Yorta person and Torres Strait Islander from Meran Inarub Islands. Tanin lives on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people. Tanin is a community organiser for warriors of the Aboriginal resistance and has worked on Invasion Day, Black Deaths in Custody and Stop the Forced Closures of Aboriginal Communities in WA. They're a filmmaker and writer and have been published in Indigenous X, NITV and Right Now. Tanin's day job is supporting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are victim survivors and perpetrators of family violence. Atanin also runs a baking Instagram account where they post really incredible looking food, which was part of, partly why we asked them to be on this episode today. So highly recommend you go and check out their baking page too at Black Baker on Instagram, which we'll link in the show notes. Here they are. Hello, my name's Taneen Onis-Williams and I'm a proud Gunditjmara, Bindal, Yorta Yorta and Torres Strait Islander person. I'm sitting on Wurundjeri country in stage four lockdown on the grass eating some tacos with my partner Seb at Edinburgh Gardens. Amongst the trees, I make an audible, mmm, yum, Mmm, yum. With people around us, my partner tells me, you're being so loud. And to my rep- and I reply, yes, it's because it's so delicious. And I think I've always loved food. When I was a kid, my dad would say he loved eating with me and my nan because we loved food so much. And as a kid with tight curly hair and gapped front teeth and a small body, I would sit up at my grandmother's house on Grand Grand Country in Bundaberg, Queensland, and I would eat cantaloupe, 
mangoes with her and my dad. My family were fruit pickers and my dad has done it for years on and off. Even as early as this year, picking apples on Yorta Yorta country, on my country. As I got older, I would make my nan, Jane, apple crumble, potato bake, after learning it in food tech at Bundy High. These were my favourite recipes in Unit 8. And back in the day when avocados were cheap, I tried to make an avocado crumble. Let's say this test recipe failed because cooked avocado is not nice. <laughs> um, but I did. I loved cooking as a young person, especially baking, and I loved making cakes with my sister-in-law Cecilia and my mum Tracy. It was one of my favourite things to do. And looking back at my mum's amazing cakes she made for my brothers from Wynne's weekly children's book, Cookbook, she was too tired by the time she had my sister and I. So when I look back at those cookbooks and see those amazing train cakes that my brothers had, I was used to be just in awe of her cooking skills. I was just amazed. But I was fortunate to grow up on my country, on Gundishmara country in Portland. Portland is in a large bay and we ate a lot of seafood from the waters my ancestors ate from and even eels from the inland of Gundishmara country. And Gundishmara people are most famous for our eel traps. We were World Heritage listed in 2019. So our food systems are pretty amazing. As I said, I loved food as a young person and as I entered my late teens, I lost interest until 18 months ago. So I'm a community organiser for the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and I've been a part of the group for six and a half years. I've organised countless rallies, supported countless campaigns. I couldn't even organise like, and I would even organise people's meals when they were having a hard time. In 2019, I got together with my partner and I started watching TV again because, one, I didn't really have a TV and, two, I just didn't have time. I was always so busy and my local cafe or restaurant, Mario's in Fitzroy, was called my kitchen. I spent so long doing my community, like doing things for my community, I realised that I didn't have a hobby. And in 2019, I was planning to go to Berlin, like every Melbourneian does. And mine was to try get a hobby. Because I felt like I couldn't do it in Australia, I was tired and I was burnt out with ulcers in my mouth and just exhausted. And at my peak, I was speaking at, like, I remember one time I spoke at 10 events in seven days and, like, I was being bullied at work and had multiple family issues happening at that time. So 2019 was tiring and I wanted to leave the colony in a quest for a hobby. As we all know, COVID happened, we can't travel, blah, 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 blah. And we were all forced to stay home. This was something I wasn't familiar with. 
I hadn't spent a week at home in years and everything slowed down. I was forced to stop. Not able to go to the office for a while, so I put my head in the kitchen and I started to cook. I tried recipes. I built my pantry. I learnt how to cook rice on the stove. I organised everything into jars and I was going to the Beatrix Bakery a lot and just before, like, lockdown had hit, in March 2020, Natalie, the owner and author of Beatrix or um, Beatrix Bakes, released her bake book. And after that, I bought a KitchenAid stand mixer to try baking some of her recipes. I hadn't baked a cake from scratch in 10 years, so I fell in love with the cloud-like sponge cake squished together with thick whipped cream and homemade strawberry jam. Baking really helped my burnout. It became meditative and it's something practical with my hands instead of doom scrolling on my phone. It helped me step back and think about the very intentional and scientific or chemistry way of cooking that is structured, that requires discipline and something that I struggle with. Since learning about baking, I've learned how to incorporate native ingredients into my cooking, especially baking with salt bush and taking my neighbours, like taking it from my neighbour's yard and putting it in the kacha or sourdough recipes. Incorporating these ingredients on my terms and not just eating it from a white person's recipe has been a really fulfilling experience. Using salt pushes medicine and actively thinking about this food as a way of healing and not just as something to fill my tummy has made me feel more connected to my people and my culture. My favourite thing about, like, my favourite time was cooking it in a roostery and biting it into and biting into it with a bitter salty salt bush. It's been such an amazing experience and I'm so thankful to my white neighbour for planting it. So I'm able to go and pick it or, as I like to say, forage. <laughs> I've learned so much about myself cooking. I've learned patience and generosity. I've learned more about Indigenous people's foods like Palestinian food. I've learned about what they eat and then what the regions eat and different food depending on what's available. So I think it's just been on, I've really been on this journey about food sovereignty and through food, but also through food sovereignty of Indigenous peoples, I've learned more about mine. And learning about political sovereignty, I thought that learning about political sovereignty was the utmost importance, but we forget that land I forget that sovereignty is about land and it's about connection to country and the plants and the animals and those are the food sources that to help us understand who we are and what we need to survive. So food has become a really important way of understanding sovereignty to me and I'm always learning and want to encourage more people to cook whatever you, they like but also to really try Indigenous, eat, 
ingredients because you never know what you're going to learn from it. Thank you, Tani. Next, we have Haseeb Harani. Haseeb Harani is a Lebanese-Palestinian writer, editor and arts worker living on unceded Wurundjeri country. Haseeb is a 2020 recipient of the Wheeler Centre's Next Chapter Scheme and is currently working on a book of experimental poetry about suffocation and the occupation of Palestine. His writing challenges expectations of land, identity and the relationship between the two. You can find Haseeb's writing in Mianjin, Overland, Australian Poetry and Going Down Swinging, among others. Here he is. No word but hungry. The town of Tershiha in the district of Akka, root word, disputed. Tarshiha, meaning Shiha flew. Because he flew to the battlefield and fought the crusaders, the city his namesake now, as thanks. I flew three oceans away from Hawali, too young to chew, too tired to drink. Sometimes a blue cup breaks and then another one does six months later. What ends with life? It sounds like insult to say my grandmother is being eaten. What I'm trying to say is that she is feeding I'm trying to say she is watering. I'm trying to write this poem in English. Let me try again. I bring her a glass of water. I water my grandmother. And when the rain falls and spills into two seas, the sky waters my grandmother. For a month, every time I walked home, And past the church, there would be a hearse in the driveway. Sometimes things are just coincidence. Like the fact that my grandmother's surname is Shereh, root word Shereh, to explain. And that she is from Tershiha, root word disputed. Teta Shereh min Tershiha, that sounds nice. That language fills me up. Not a pool now, an ocean. Ask a Zionist where their grandparents are from. Take their answer with a grain of salt. Tershiha. Tur meaning mountain, shih meaning mugwort. My grandfather's surname is based in mountainhood. Sometimes things are just coincidence. My grandmother's name is Inham, root word, Naame, blessing. My grandfather's name is Ahali, root word, Halu, elevated. My grandmother was born in Tershiha, and so was her mother, and her grandmother, and her great grandmother. When I recite this ancestry to you, take it with a grain of at least. We can't know how far to go. We don't know who to ask. 
I don't know why my poppies buckle before they explode. They brown with womb still full, never make it to ballistic, cancelled flight. What ends with life? One of the cups is in a white envelope, sealed. The other is still intact at the bottom. I fed the glass its own shatterings. Sometimes you go to Tershiha for no reason but ritual and find family you didn't know you had and they bring you plates of fruit and fennel and your dad asks, what's this? And they show him how to eat it. Peel off the petals, bite in sips. Fennel is Palestinian and my dad was 50 and still he had never tried it. Maybe Manama dries the soil out too quick and all the food he ever knew had been grown there. Maybe Inham didn't like aniseed. Maybe Ali didn't. What ends with life? Did Shiha stay there till he died? Is he with the dirt? Is he feeding the fennel? Thanks so much, Hasid. And for our final artist for this episode and for this season of Vignettes, Muhib Nabulsi. Muhib is a disabled person living with chronic illnesses, a so-called unproductive writer and novice filmmaker, a second-gen diaspora Palestinian, a.k.a. Palestinian, a disorganised community organiser and a service industry worker. Here's Muhib. Hi everyone, my name is Mohib Nabulsi. My pronouns are he, him, or they, them. I'm a diaspora Palestinian and disabled person and sometimes writer. I've spent most of my life in Mianjin, where I still live, and I'm recording this from today, on the lands of the Turbul and Yagara peoples. The sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. The piece I'm going to read today is entitled More Salt. When I was growing up, almost every night at the dinner table, the other members of my family, myself included, would draw attention to the amount of salt my Baba puts on his food and berate him for it, ostensibly out of concern for his health. This is to say that, often, as we ate, at some level, we imagined his death. On a trip to Jordan in the summer of 1998, Baba instructed me and my brother Jamal to look across the Dead Sea to the shore on the other side. That's Palestine, he said. I can't remember any other words he spoke, but I remember well feeling his sadness and anger in that moment, which stands out in my memory as my first experience of individual, familial and collective trauma and grief existing simultaneously in a way that will forever be beyond the capacity of language to enunciate. When I was asked to contribute a piece on the theme, Food Sovereignty, these memories came to me only after an experience still fresh in my mind. When the Brisbane lockdown was called in August, my partner Georgia and I were shopping for supplies for my birthday party that we had planned for that evening. When I pulled out my phone in the middle of the supermarket to listen to that day's COVID update, Our baskets were close to full. 
As we stood frozen for a moment, we quickly realized that we no longer needed the ingredients for two cakes and myriad snack foods. We needed nourishment. My birthday was the first day of lockdown. Georgia had come to stay at the house I live in with my youngest brother, with whom I also share my birthday. As I woke up that morning, for the first time since 2020, I felt an overwhelming sense of uncertainty and was startled by how quickly the added layer of anxiety I had experienced last year returned. I spent many hours that day cleaning the house from top to bottom in an attempt to make things as comfortable as possible, assuaging at the very least some of my OCD symptoms. After Georgia and I left the supermarket the previous day, which within minutes of the announcement was swarming with hurried people on their phones, we went to a Mediterranean wholesaler where I picked up kilos of mlochia, a leafy green vegetable used to make a dish of the same name, eaten with different local variations across Southwest Asia and North Africa. Mlochia, the dish, is my favorite meal. A comforting stew of the uniquely textured green cooked with chicken in fresh chicken stock with garlic, coriander, and lemon juice, and served on a bed of turmeric rice topped with onion pickle. At least this is how Baba taught me how to make it. As I cleaned the house, I began making the dish for Georgia, my brother, and I to eat that night. I put the chicken stock on, checking on it every so often. When I had finished cleaning and after showering, I cooked and put together the other components of the meal. It was getting late, so I was rushing, which, combined with the lockdown anxiety, was making me increasingly agitated. I felt myself retreating inwards, and I began resenting Georgia for not meeting needs I had that day that I wasn't communicating to her. When all the ingredients were in the pot and I had left it to simmer for a while, I tasted it. It didn't taste right, but I'd done everything right. I added more salt, waited, and watched it nervously. I tasted it again. The anxiety turned to panic. I approached Georgia and asked her to come to my room with me. Perceiving my distress, she immediately followed and closed the door as I collapsed on my bed in tears. As she had in the past and has since then, she didn't offer spoken consolation. She just held me. When it had passed, we went together back into the kitchen to the pot still simmering on the cooktop. I added more salt, stirred, and tasted it. Still not right. More salt again. And then once more. Finally, it tasted how it should. I eventually let Georgia taste it, and I could see on her face too that it was right. While she is not Palestinian, she also has a migrant background and her own complex relationship to food. She looked at me and smiled. All it needed was more salt. I tried, in many different ways, to incorporate the two anecdotes with which I began this piece into the third to form some kind of seamless whole, but I simply couldn't do it, nor could I leave them out. Earlier this year at my parents' place, I heard my dad lament having raised me and my brothers calling him dad, rather than Baba. He didn't teach us Arabic for a complex set of reasons that I can't fully grasp, and even if I could, 
there wouldn't be room for them here. When I was editing this piece, getting ready to record it, a new anxiety arose. As I read back the word mlochia, I feared that I wouldn't pronounce it correctly. Though I can read Arabic now, even if I don't understand many of the words, and have some limited speaking and listening skills, I've only studied modern standard Arabic. I looked up the spelling of mlochia, but the way it's written in MSA doesn't sound the way Baba says it in his dialect. So before recording this, I called him. Um, so I didn't press record last time. <laughs> yeah, so can we just do that again? Sure, what are we doing? Thank you, Muhib. Uh, that's our episode for this week and our final episode for this season of Vignettes. So thank you again to Tarnin Onis-Williams, Haseeb Harani and Muhib Nabulsi for sharing their beautiful stories with us today and to all the artists who shared their readings throughout this season of Vignettes. We really hope you enjoyed it and we can't wait to see you all again next year. Hopefully we can actually all be together again soon. Have a great summer and we'll see you next year. This podcast was produced by me, Millie Bayliss, and audio produced by the wonderful Joe Buchan. Our theme music was created by Two Care, and the really lovely artwork for each episode was created by Molly Hunt. You can find out more about the team behind this podcast and the artists featured across the season of Vignettes as well as the previous seasons of Vignettes on the EWF website at emergingwritersfestival.org.au. Thank you.